It's a five-star podcast. Because we do it. What's real? Welcome back to the What's Real podcast. It is me, producer Cam, once again, as we roll through our September specials, our month of specials, giving the guys, Jared and Hey Ed, a little bit of a break before they come back for our Halloween extravaganza in October. This week is the Fridays at Midnight special. We're going to be covering all sorts of goofy and wacky movies throughout the year, including Bloody Muscle Bodybuilder in Hell, Combat Shock, Raiders of Atlantis, Masters of the Universe, Vice Squad, and No Escape. It's going to be a really fun episode focusing completely around our segment Fridays at Midnight. So once again, Hey Ed and the J will return in October and we will have one more week of our September special series. Enjoy the show. Step right up, Fridays at midnight here. We got all the finest women in the world. We got all the kind of craziest stuff you've ever seen. Hey, buddy, what about you? Why don't you come on into Fridays at midnight and see what the world beholds? Hey, what kind of wares do you have? What kind of place is this? This looks pretty unique. Tracy, want to check this out? You like hot women? You like crazy people? What about murder? We got that too. Cartoon characters, stupidity, just about everything you guys want to see. Come on in. Just a small fee, if you will. Sorry, Tracy. I love all these things. I'm leaving you. You stay here. Here it is, sir. All right. Head on in. All right. Fridays at midnight, everybody. What's Real Podcast. Join us next week for one of the craziest movie segments in podcasting. Fridays at midnight. And we're back, and it is time once again for Fridays at Midnight. This week, we go back to 1995, and I'm going to try and do it, Vijay. Directed by Shinichi Fukuzawa. Good job, Hale. We're, we're talking bloody muscle bodybuilder in hell. After a surprise phone call interrupts his daily workout, beefy bodybuilder Naito agrees to meet his photojournalist ex-girlfriend to help with her research on haunted houses. Accompanied by a professional psychic, they visit an abandoned house once owned by Nato's father. But inside the house, a dark secret lingers, and they find themselves trapped and tormented by a relentless ghost with a 30-year grudge. Uh, I should also tell people that the movie is called Bloody Muscle Bodybuilder in Hell, a.k.a. The Japanese Japanese Evil Evil Dead. Dead. And there's a very good reason for that. because. And me and you never saw this movie nope. until for this segment, well, I told which you is blind it, bought it. Yeah, this is going to be just so you guys know, this is going to be kind of a rarity on here uh, because there's only certain types of movies that fit in this kind of category. So like until we see something, we don't really know if it does or not. But we both had a pretty good idea <laughs> that this one was going to fit in there. Um, now, of course, the, there's a lot. To unpack in this movie, first off, it's 62 minutes. It is basically a Japanese retelling of the Evil Dead. Um, and it's really weird. And th- this is just kind of my early take on it, Vijay. I was about a half hour into this movie and I'm like, this is fucking terrible. And then the last half hour happened. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, fucking yes. Like now we're talking. Like, 
this movie is like it's kind of goofy and weird and then it just goes completely fucking bonkers like bonkers dude the scene in the and i'm gonna try and be devoid of some spoilers here for people who haven't seen it it is on shutter right now if you guys want to check it out um there is a uh what would you call them demons yes yeah, the would that be fair yeah okay so he literally steps on this demon's head and crushes it like a motherfucker. Its eyes pop out and everything. Goes back to fight other demons. And what happens? Well, the crushed demon comes back to life <laughs> or death, puts its eyeballs back in its head, and starts to fucking go at this dude. And, like, that scene fucking rules so much. Yeah, the makeup <laughs> like, effects are good. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's definitely, it, it's a do-it-yourself kind of low-budget thing. It's, dude, you know, here's the weird thing. I know this doesn't really fit in the category, but this is essentially like an Evil Dead fan film. But, um, yeah, good point. Yep, a Japanese it, Evil Dead fan film with very little budget. Yes. They didn't try and remake it. They just tried to make their version of the Evil Dead the way they wanted to make it. And, you know, like I said, it has its issues. Don't get me wrong. I'm not going to act like this is some kind of a master. I was, I was with you, dude. The, the, for a while, I'm just like, fuck, this was nowhere near what I was hoping yep. for. You know, and then it, it, it turned it, into that. I, I was like, this fucking segment this week is going to be like a Thursday night prime where we watch a fucking turd, yeah, just basically. And I'm, yeah, because I'm like, there's not even anything interesting to talk about. But then that, that second half of the movie happens. And dude, when I say they tried to make their own version of the Evil Dead here, I'm serious. Like, they did stop-motion animation. They do a bunch of, like, I guess, like, a lot. It's not, like, a lot of people consider it gore, but there, there's gore, and then there's, like, slime movies. And this is closer to the slime movie stuff than gore. Um, it's just, like, grotesque fuck, but it's all blood. So, you know, I get it with the gore thing. I'm not going to argue with it about that, but it's just the way it's presented. It's, like, over-the-top gross um, one of the things that they do in this movie, dude, that is really outdated, okay? They do time-lapse photography. Like, if you see yeah, somebody, yeah. they go from being normal to... Be but, dude, it is so fucking creepy looking because, of, because it's low-budget as fuck. They're shooting on cameras that don't look the best, so the effect comes across way better than it should. It's really cool looking. Yeah, that's why sometimes you just got to go for it because you don't know what you're going to create. Yeah, and this is the, the kind of thing that I, I admire about this movie. Trying to make your own version of the Evil Dead is not an easy thing to do. I mean, even Sam Raimi making the Evil Dead was not an easy thing to do, if you know anything about making the movie. The fact that these people could manage to do this basically in like an apartment setting um, for the duration, like the really, you know, the good part of the movie is, is all in one spot. Um, it... A lot of it's nonsensical, um, but it doesn't matter. You know, kind of, if you've seen The Evil Dead, you kind of get the gist of what's happening here. Um, this, oddly enough, this is one of those movies that it, it's subtitled because it's Japanese. But, like, I could have probably watched this with no subtitles in Japanese and still been like, okay, I know what's going on. I got to say, because I've mentioned it before, I was watching this in, in my office setting with Chrissy that works with me. <laughs> and like, oh, wow. Yeah, she was like, this is the worst one yet. Like, what is this? You know, like, it's crazy. <laughs> but it just tells Dude, you the you... reaction of somebody that would have no inclination to watch this other than her crazy-ass boss that she's stuck with. <laughs> Dude, are, are you sure you're not me? Because the most me-sounding thing ever is like, I have my own business, 
and I basically pay somebody. And their job's great, but the only downfall is I make them watch horrible That's bullshit all the time. Is, she'll tell you, <laughs> yes. So this this pretty much top top the uh, the list right now because uh, of of watching it recently with her. But but yeah, it was, anything else, off, dude? Anything else off the top of your head that you've watched with her that was like? Well, I talk, that's the thing. I talk about it on the show a bunch bunch of stuff, bunch of stuff for the show. Uh, off the top of my head, I can't really think anything like that was stand out but I, I remember mentioning on the show too like before you know about certain reviews just because it's, it's always good to throw in other perspectives and the environment and atmosphere you're watching things in but again that's why this this film once it builds up is so so much fun and it's what you know we were hoping it would be and and that's why i loved your your build up and preamble through here on the show about fridays at midnight in the segment and about us probably rarely if ever doing this again on both of us having uh jump uh throw on a blind watch is the fact that like anybody following the show and knowing us would be like dude there's no way because at one point towards the whole climax of course the quote-unquote bodybuilder dude does like a pump-up scene the jays always talk about pump up and it even says in the titles he's like now i'm pumped up he like gets gets yeah. his lift on real quick. So I was dying. I'm like, well, that we made the, the mean, right judgment call. This is definitely the Fridays at midnight segment in the What Real podcast with Hey Ed and the J. It's pretty fucking hilarious when you see a character's like, fuck, I gotta fight these demons, but first I gotta get these gains real yes, quick, and then and I'm fucking and shit so up. Me. Like, yeah, I gotta get my. And I mean, on it's first. Like, Dude, dude, someone gets stabbed through the brain with a fucking full out weight yeah, bar. Weight bar. <laughs> Like the actual, like the one you do bench presses with, That's like, like I, throws I the shit at it like a javelin. On the one thing on IMDb, <laughs> it's a, you know, it's like talk about the description, and it's like you know, a surprise phone call interrupts the daily workout of a beefy bodybuilder, Sinji. If if that's a beefy bodybuilder, I'm like the goddamn rock. And I get it. It's like a an Asian, you know, Japanese dude in like the mid '90s, you know. But still, mm-hmm. and he's in shape. Don't get me wrong, but it, that is a funny part of it too it's you know muscle <laughs> bodybuilder from hell the dude's probably what i had a buck 70 max dude i gotta bring this up because I, I haven't done this in a while either and i've never done it on fridays at midnight but i'm going to a letterboxd review this is from somebody on Letterbox named vance it's like if your neighbor who was obsessed with whey protein decided to make a splatter film absolutely rips <laughs> yeah. that's a good one good description there but but yeah I'm, I'm glad that you know like like we were talking about with the pacing it was having uh because again just throwing out other perspectives with watching it with chrissy she you know when it was slogging she's like what the fuck is this you know and then Dude. finally it gets crazy but you know we, we kind of nailed it the, the crazy part on is is really fun dude this is amazing boxer santoris on letterboxd quote you know there's really not enough bodybuilding in this. Five minutes later. Okay, that's too much bodybuilding for my taste. My dad, whose turn it was to pick a movie. <laughs> that's great. Oh, shit. I mean, dude, this is like a perfect, like we don't, I think Fridays at Midnight, it can encompass films like this, but it's probably going to be rare to see this type of movie on here. But this is the exact antithesis of like, you're hanging out with a group of your buddies on a Friday night. You might get together to fucking watch a movie. It's somebody's turn to pick it. You probably fucking have some beers or something else, you know, that you enjoy during this. And you want to put on something that's fun for everybody to watch. This would be a fucking great choice for that type of shit. Because I guarantee you, 
it's either going to get a what the fuck reaction out of somebody or they're going to be familiar with the Evil Dead and they're going to be like, this is kind of like Evil Dead. But like, if you like Evil Dead, you're definitely going to like where this goes. Yeah, as I mentioned, I knew nothing about it. So, you know, throughout one of my social media networks and, and communities, Bloody Muscle Bodybuilder in Hell, a.k.a. the Japanese Evil Dead. And, you know, your boy, the J, instantly blind bought it. Because I'm like, I don't even care if it's the worst movie ever. I remember telling you about it. And you're like, that's one that actually I don't know too much about. And you're like, I don't think, you, you, you know, I don't remember you saying, like, I don't think I was a good buy to Jay, but let me know. And, of course. But the, once I saw, the, once I realized it was the Japanese Evil Dead, I knew what it yeah, was. There you I go. didn't know. I didn't, I didn't know it under the fucking title, Bloody Muscle Bodybuilder in Hell. <laughs> yeah, so. There you go. Um, and it was good with the running time, too, just an hour and two minutes, you know, because, again, it even for just 62 minutes, it dragged a bit to set things up. Uh, but once it started going, it was good. So good that it had a pretty short run time. Did you get a tagline for this one? Um, yeah, IMDb always has like the uh, the goofy one that I, I think people just put on there, you know. Uh, okay. You're right. No, this one doesn't have it. It just says uh, the Japanese evil dead. So that's okay. All, got. all right. So that's the bloody muscle bodybuilder in hell. You guys can check that out on Shutter if you like to. I know it's available on Blu-ray and DVD as well. Uh, so if you want to pick up a copy, you could do that too. But uh, don't forget to join us next week for uh, for this segment. It's going to be uh, another one that we're going to do. It's probably the last one for season three. Uh, and we'll explain all that for, for next yeah, week. Yeah, we'll have some programming but, uh, notes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, for what we do during the holiday season and all that. Um, but, uh, but it is my choice for the final one. And uh, we're going to go back to 1997 for this one, the Jay. When Solomon and Tumblr are two teenagers killing time in Xenia, Ohio, a small town that has never recovered from the tornado that ravaged the community in the 1970s. Of course, I'm talking about the 1997 weirdo classic by Harmony Corinne. We're talking Gummo. Oh, wow. So that'll be a lot of fun, uh, especially if you guys know what Gummo is. If you don't, definitely listen next week for that because it'll be interesting. So... Uh, but we are up against our final commercial break. And whenever we come back, we're going to wrap up the show and talk some goofs. So stay put, everybody. We'll be back right after this right here on the What's Real Podcast. Hey, Yins, guys. That's right. It's your boy, the J. Once again, as the great Chris Jericho used to say, representing the dub R question mark, the What's Real Podcast. And I am here today for local Pittsburgh area independent production company, Churchill Pictures. And the J can admit, for those consistently listening, week to week, we have ads for Churchill Pictures. You may be rolling your eyes, but this time, this week, I have a gift for you where you can watch some of our feature films for free for the first time. For those that don't know, Churchill Pictures is based out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, established from the bond of two childhood friends. Churchill Pictures envisions creating visual content that is completely original, thought-provoking, and most importantly, entertaining. Check all the information out at churchillpictures.com today. And as I said at the top of the ad, your chance to see their two feature films for free. Just subscribe to YouTube's Churchill Pictures channel. Go to YouTube, subscribe to the Churchill Pictures channel, and you'll be able to watch the full feature film, the 2012 Silver Ace Award winner from the Las Vegas Film Festival, Deference. Deference, the full movie, is for free on our YouTube channel. 
Then our second feature film, The Unsung, is now available for free on Tubi. Tubi is a free streaming site, just has a little bit of ads, but you can get used to them. Check us out on Tubi. All you have to do is register for Tubi, or if you're already registered, go on ahead and sign in on Tubi and just search The Unsung. The Unsung is now streaming for free on Tubi. Check us out today at churchillpictures.com or YouTube deference to be the unsung. Churchill Pictures, we create worlds. And we're back and it is time once again for a double dose of Fridays at Midnight Part 1. We go back to 1986. This is from a filmmaker who, oddly enough, people may not have seen this, but they might be familiar with some of his other work. Um, he's done a lot of other stuff and interesting stuff, none the least. His name is Buddy Giovanazzo, Um, and he made a movie in 1986 called Combat Shock. A dangerously disturbed Vietnam veteran struggles with life 15 years after his return home and slowly falls into insanity from his gritty urban lifestyle. Um, the movie stars Rick Giovanazzo, Buddy's uh, brother, as Frankie. Um, there's not too many known players in this one at all, uh, unless you're familiar with like really weird New York cinema from the 80s. Um, but dude, this movie packs a punch like not many. Um, it's a very grim and disturbing movie. Um, you know, you mentioned this off the air of the J because you were like, oh, Troma put this out. And frankly, I've always kind of thought that this movie, like, Troma was the reason why people got to see the movie. But I think Troma being its labels kind of done more disservice to it than anything. Um, and there's only two movies that they've ever put out that I feel that way with. This one and Bloodsucking Freaks is the other one. Uh, because they don't really fit the palette of what trauma does. There's, it's not. This movie's not a comedy in any capacity. Nah. Um, so, and and you get a lot of weird shit in this one. Of course, you're dealing with drug use, uh, disturbed Vietnam veterans, um, just general undesirable shit bags. Um, you get a version of the Eraserhead baby in this one. Um, which is really a, a recurring theme in the movie that kind of shows how, you know, uh, Frankie is just descending further into madness. Um, not one single person, nobody, is a redeeming human being in this movie. Not even the lead character. And they make it seem like the lead character, you know, like that's kind of who you're rooting for until the last act of the fucking movie where everything just goes completely off the rails. So uh, I wanted to, to ask you about this one, Jay, because before coming into this, I wasn't sure if you'd seen it before. So what are your impressions of Combat Shock? Yeah, that's what I mentioned. I kind of recognized it in the opening titles, seeing the kind of trauma stuff, you know, the production coming out of trauma. And I couldn't really, you know, and that's maybe I blacked it out. Hey, on purpose, because like you said, it is, it is very disturbing, but again, you're talking about subject matter with the Vietnam war that I think always really needs to be taken seriously. Uh, you know, I mean, I guess somebody out there, some very artistic person can maybe make 
some sort of a Vietnam comedy. I don't know if that's ever happened, but other than that, it really shouldn't, you know, it needs to, to be serious subject matter, which it is. And, and that's the case. And, and, and we said, man, when I'm in the mood for, for something like this, I always go to that keyword. Hey, Ed, gritty. And this movie is gritty as hell. You know, like you said, like the underground of New York, um, there's just so many, as you mentioned, just so many scumbag characters, junkies. Uh, but that's where kind of, the, the it, I wouldn't say a smile or laughs came out of me, but at least a smirk was just for some of the characters. Uh, you know, the, the junkie that yep. he deals with, Mike, uh, he's a really good character in it with his terrible green head, you know, bandana wrapped as a headband and, and just a pure junkie. And, and of course, the, the nagging wife. Uh, and, and they do, you know, act, acting wise to bring that up here too. Hey, Ed, they do their job for, like you said, being lesser known kind of local New York character actors of the seventies. Uh, they do their part. Like his, his wife was, was annoying, you know, and she, she played the role. I mean, God bless her, but she was really, you know, what would the word be? Just, you know, I don't want to call her ugly, but homely, I guess you would say. Well, they, they, they do a very good job in this movie of like making people look like Dirty that's that's what I'm going for. Life. Yeah, yeah. Like they just look like desolate. And dude, the the one thing that gets me about this movie, right? You've seen a ton of movies with this type of theme, where like the main characters are just really down on their shit. Like they they're broke, and you know, like they don't know how they're gonna make it through the day. But dude, the one thing about Combat Shock that they do is like they break it down to the furthest level, where the main characters are like, I don't know how the fuck we're gonna eat. Yeah, exactly. Like, like at one the point, the desperation they sh- is crazy. Yeah, they show the the wife movie. just chewing on some cocoa crispies. Yep, because that's the only food they have. And then she's bitching at him to find some food for the baby, and he's like, you know, use your tit. She's like, he's too old for that now. And, and as you mentioned, the baby thing is just ridiculous throughout. You know, for for those that and don't know and don't get the Eraserhead reference, it's like this. You know, basically, like almost what would it be considered a prosthetic? Well. Yeah, it's it's a creature. That it's it's, yeah, it's not a real. It's baby, not real. But yeah. it's what it's supposed to be is a baby born that's infected by Agent Orange, right. which our lead character clearly has had some issues with, and they bring it up in the movie. Yeah, and dude, it's see the thing is to all these characters and everything aside, this movie was shot in the 1980s in Staten Island, and like. Everything from their apartment to the outside, like, landscape, it looks like this movie takes place in the middle of hell. Yeah. Like, for real. Like, everything looks like dog shit. And it's like, dude, you deal with every piece of shit, debaucherous thing along the way. Horrible drug use, disgusting people, um, prostitutes, pimps. Dude, there's fucking child prostitutes in this movie. They're not real, but like, just to show you, like, this is a guy that went to war, came home fucked up, and like, it's all like they they make it a point in this movie to be like, you don't really know if Vietnam was worse than where he lives now, right? You know what I mean? And he's, like, and he's coming special. into there from from that hell and that with that broken mind. Coming into yes. that world. And it's it, and it's like, you're with him. This is one of the few movies, too, that like when the lead character is like going on this descent of madness, you like understand 
what the fuck is going on? Like, you're like, look at it. Like, you're going along there with them. Like, if I had to live this life too, I'd lose my fucking mind. No question. Like, it's just, it's such a downbeat movie. But like, the way that everything is done is like, dude, Buddy Giovinazzo is a fucking genius. I don't care what anybody says. I have no problem saying that. Um, and this, if this is the only thing he ever made, I'd still think the guy was a genius because like, very little like you will see movies like this done very few and far between um where the budget's not big um they don't have really anything of value you know like no name stars no like stuff like that but like the the sum is so much more bigger than the parts um because this movie this is like an anti-drug movie it's an anti-war movie um it's it's a movie that from 1986 that definitely addresses shit like mental health and PTSD um, in a way that like nothing else really has. Like you're not going to sit in front of a movie about that kind of stuff that it like packs a punch like this one fucking does because this one just doesn't stop. It, it just drags you into the muck with it and doesn't let you go at all. Not even for a second. You don't get a breather in this movie. And, and another big point to that that breakdown, hey Ed, as you always mention, is a big advantage they have too. Is shooting throughout early 1980s New York. You know that yep. that era of New York, like we always say, you can't even do a CGI. It's like a lost lost time, and that's what Dude. like like we always love in movies. It creates that that hell of a world you're talking about, like its own little world. $100 million budget, dude, and you wouldn't be able to recreate what they exactly. have. Uh, it, it's impossible. What, some of my bullet points, hey, Ed, you, you mentioned the child prostitute scene. That, of course, you know, it's not funny stuff, but it's just funny with the actors because, of course, the pimp's there. And so he yep. comes up to uh, to the lead actor, to Frankie, and he's like, you know, get the fuck out of it. Like, what are you doing with her? And he's like, nothing. Like, And, and Frankie was just talking to her. You know, they're kind of just yep. bullshit. Although she does ask him for a date. He's like, get the fuck out of here. Like, what are you talking about? And then another prostitute walks up and the pimp's like, what the fuck are you doing? I told you to watch her. And she's like, I'm not your mom. I'm not her mom. I can't watch her every second. Hire a babysitter. And he hits the shit out of her. And, and then he, he has like a funny line. He's like, he says something about Grace Kelly. And, and the other hooker's like, who's Grace Kelly? And then the one he hits like r- r- goes away. And she's like, man, you could all suck my asshole. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there, you know, there was parts like that with the characters. And then towards the end, they end up kind of like in this underground area, like under the, the bridges where a lot of the junkies go. And, and that just, you know, on a personal level, reminded me kind of the setting that we set up the homeless village in our film, the unsung head. You notice that where it's like the spray paint well, on the pillars and like the it, grass, like it was kind of cool. You, you guys had the set design. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They're Buddy just shooting. There. I was like, let's go under the bridge. Yeah, exactly. That's like that. Right. But yeah, that was just another cool aspect, but, but yeah, man, it's a, it's a very interesting film. Uh, very, you know, it's one of those things where somebody that might not, just be up to speed on films like this and and is kind of ignorant towards it. It might just think as as so many movies that, that get kind of, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, I mean, it's a movie, but for lack of a better term, kind of typecast as, as far as the outside in, like, oh, this is just gratuitous violence and it's just so nasty. But as you mentioned, it tackles some really serious themes, especially for the time frame that it was released and everything. And, you know, there was a lot of thought put into that by Buddy Giovanniso. 
So, you know, I really respected that. And, you know, the lead actor, uh, you mentioned it. Was that his real life brother, Rick Giovanazzo? Yeah, yeah he, he yeah. does a really good uh, role for his part in it as the lead. You know, really believable as the vet going through all this shit. And it's, it's a hard movie to watch. But again, from that filmmaker eye standpoint, that's what really got me through this. Because you even said that to me. You're like, the Jay, I know how you are for for rough movies these days and you have to be in a certain mood. I'm like, no, I can tackle this one. And I, and I kind of uh, can take it when I kind of look at it, that, that it's, you know, the, the fictional artistic creation of the filmmaker. And that's how I kind of went about this experience. And, you know, I, I wouldn't say I thoroughly enjoyed it as, as far as the subject matter, but I enjoyed it as far as the film. Yeah. I don't think it's made to be enjoyed. Right. You know yeah. what I mean? It's, I just it's thought just, it was a good movie. You know, but if, if you would indulge me for a moment, uh, this rarely happens, but this is a movie that I actually wrote a full review for. Um, oh, nice. Ago. Yeah, bring it, Hale. So here we go. Honestly, Combat Shock belongs in a category all its own. It's truly a one-of-a-kind movie in just about every way. Shot in Staten Island in the early 1980s in the middle of urban decay, and the movie is covered in sleaze. It's about Frankie and his struggles with poverty after coming home from Vietnam. He's been infected by Agent Orange, which you see is evidenced by him and his wife having a horribly deformed baby. Frankie is also struggling to feed his family and lose the battle looking for a job. Each day, he goes out looking for a job and is faced with a physical altercations with junkies and neighborhood undesirables. Constantly stressed out and losing his mind day by day, we bear witness with Frankie's descent into madness. Directed by Buddy Giovanazzo and starring Buddy's real-life brother Rick as Frankie, Combat Shock is as grim and ugly of a film that you will ever see. Outside of Frankie, every single character in the movie is genuinely terrible. The hallucination scenes offer a terrifying look into the mind of a man altered by war and the chemicals he's encountered in the act of it. The movie shows that struggle all too well and makes it a musty movie in my opinion. I've seen Combat Shock as well as the director's cut version titled American Nightmare, a handful of times in my life, and it always holds up as a shocking and disturbed piece of cinema, which is a big reason why I always seem to enjoy it so much. It's extremely memorable and shocking decades after its release, allowing it to become quite the cult film. It has to be seen to be believed. Highly recommended. Good call, Hey. Good that is Combat Shock. Yeah. So hope you guys enjoyed that. I think we broke that down pretty well. Uh, if you guys are interested, it is available on Tubi right now. Um, and there was also a release a few years ago on DVD and Blu-ray of the American Nightmare uh, version, along with the original Combat Shock as well. So if you guys are interested, you could also pick those up in you know places where you buy movies. So we are up against another commercial break. And whenever we come back, we are going back to 1983 with part two of Fridays at Midnight. We're talking Ruggiero Diodato's Raiders of Atlantis. So stay tuned, guys. We'll be back right after this, right here on the What's Real Podcast. Hey, everybody. This is Herman James with the What's Real Podcast. Finally giving me something to do here. It's been a while since I talked to you guys, but I'm actually helping them out doing an advertisement for advertisers. That's right. If you would like to advertise here on the What's Real Podcast and join the team, just shoot us an email today. We got cheap, easy, and affordable rates, and we could hook you up with some kick-ass advertisements. Just hit us up at Gmail. It's at whatsrealpod at gmail.com. That's whatsrealpod at gmail.com. Join the team with me, my brother Timothy and James, the wizard behind the boards, Cam, the J, and Hey Ed. It's the What's Real team for some advertisers. Hit us up, whatsrealpod at gmail.com today. 
And we're back, and we're back in 1983 with Ruggiero Diodato's Raiders of Atlantis, a team of scientists working to raise a sunken Russian nuclear submarine on an ocean platform off the coast of Miami, Florida, unearthed an ancient Atlantean relic from the seafloor and bring it in an expert to make some sense of it. But while attempting to raise the sub, radioactive leakage from its missiles triggers the reemergence of Atlantis, and the resulting tidal wave destroys the platform and leaves only a small group of survivors. Rescued by two Vietnam vets turned heavies who are out relaxing after their latest job, their boat eventually runs aground on a Caribbean island nearby where, upon going ashore, it is discovered that everything has been destroyed and everybody killed. The culprits, a vicious group of well-armed raiders, and their leader, Crystal Skull, are descendants of Atlantis' original race who set about reclaiming the world and adding the survivors to the list of victims as they struggle to stay alive and defeat the raiders and send Atlantis back to the ocean floor. Um, not too many known people. Ivan Rasimov's in this. as uh, Bill Cook. Uh, Christopher Conley plays Mike Ross. He's the lead. Uh, George Hilton shows up in this one as the professor. Uh, fun little fact here. I don't know if you know this or not. The J. Uh, James in the movie is played by Michelle Sawavi. Do you know who that is? No. That is the director of such films as The Church and Cemetery Man. Oh, there you go. Love Cemetery Man. Also, Ruggiero Diodato shows up in this one himself as an oil rig assistant. Um, but this is like from this era of like just like completely unhinged wild fucking foreign action films like shoot 'em ups and they're fucking crazy and they're they these movies were custom made to play in drive-ins and grind houses just because of the sheer over the top nature that they are and dude it's like the, th- the here's the thing too and th- this is something that i remember before i ever saw raiders of atlantis when i found out diodato made it I was like, fuck, I want to see this. Because, dude, it, you know, Diodato might not be the greatest filmmaker of all time. I'm not going to put him in that category, even though I do like him. He completely understands when he's making a movie to be like, all right, now how do we turn this into a fucking spectacle? Like, he knows how to make his, like, all right, let's amp this up. Let's do, the, like, he knows the right moments of, like, how to make a movie exciting and what's going on. It goes back to the point we always talk about on here, the J of H.G. Lewis. Make whatever the fuck you want. Just make it entertaining. And the other big thing and with that, pacing. He understands pacing. Yes. Dude, his movies are pretty lean and mean. Yeah, pretty smooth. An hour 38 minutes, this, this ran nice and smooth. And dude, there's something that I like about Diodato and his movies. He doesn't just kill people in his movies. Like, the deaths in his movies are fucking, like, wild. Like, there's just bodies everywhere, corpses hanging from shit. Like, he does not give two fucks. He will throw everything at you in an atmosphere. Like, body parts and explosions. And, like, it's like you just see this dude in, like, a coke-fueled, sweating, like, ramp fucking writing the script out like that's what it reminds me of 
Um, but I'll be damned if it doesn't play out on screen in like pretty impressive ways. And this definitely is one of those movies too that falls in that category. Oh, you you, you know me all too well, brother. You, you said this was up my alley, and the hundred percent was. I loved it. Super entertaining. You know, I get it. Um, one of the better B movies you'll see. You know, it really is. And again, it's those type of things that inspire me to to kind of keep going. I, I always wanted to make an action movie. You know, you know that that was the the first attempt with Ring Heat based on our Thursday Night Prime exploits. You know, and this reminds me of it. Like you know, the shootout in the jungle, and the the dude, of course, is is shooting down from the cliff, and there's a waterfall, and he gets shot, and the stuntman does the flip off the cliff, you know, and into the lagoon and everything. It's it's just stuff like that consistently <laughs> through this man. It's just super entertaining. You know what one of my favorite things in this movie is? Is like when the, when those dudes, there's like the part where the dudes are holed up and he has the Molotov, Molotov cocktail. Oh, yeah. And, and he's like kissing everyone and he throws like, ah, oh, you want some of this? Here you go. Boom. Like, it's like, like the characters are just like unhinged fucking weirdos. That, that's another thing to mention. Tony King, uh, who is Muhammad, who's Christopher Connolly, Mike, Mike Ross's like right-hand man. And they, they yep. have really good chemistry. Yeah. It's dude, they're it's not like put it this way, like Diodato in a lot of ways does make B movies, right? Like there's no denying that. Um and like, you know, I would put stuff like Cannibal Holocaust and House on the Edge of the Park above the B movie B movie level to me, because I just think they're they, they like kind of, you know, escape that because of what they are. Um, but the thing is when, when he's making a B movie, it's like not any less ambitious. That's, that's a great word. The the ambition here for this film, like they have submarines and the whole Atlantis thing. Yes. And it's like, dude, and there's like, okay, we need to scene. there needs to be a bunch of, yeah, helicopters blow up. We don't have the money to like really rig this shit up. So what do you think we should do? He's like buy grenades and throw them at shit. (laughs) Yeah. the, how the fuck you think they do in the army? Like, I mean, dude, I could just, it's one of them things. I don't know if I missed out or if I'm lucky, but like, dude, imagine b- being on the set of one of his movies. Oh, it'd be a blast. You know? Yeah. Like you said, it's, e- it's easy to say, right? <laughs> yeah. Especially like cannibal it's, Holocaust. It's, God. Yeah. Like you're it's, in the middle of the Amazon amazing, or it's like, this is the worst fucking thing I've ever done in my entire life. Like, yeah, like I have to eat beetles for dinner for real on a movie yeah. set. I mean, like, dude, and I've heard from actors that worked with him. Like, I've talked to them personally, and they're like, yeah, it's a, put it this way. I met Carl York from Cannibal Holocaust um, at his first convention that he ever did. And I remember him doing a panel, and he's like, I didn't know anybody even fucking knew about this movie at all. Like, at all. Like, and then he's like, you guys have blown my mind this weekend. He's like, I can't believe that not only you guys have seen the movie, but like you guys are coming up to me with movie stuff. And like, he's like, I can't get over this. Like, he's like, I, he's like, I'm like at a loss for words. Like, I don't know what to think or say about this. And it's crazy to me. Like, dude, that's why I love shit. Like yeah. This that's what I was going to say. That's really cool. Like, it feels like we, like as film people, like, We've kind of watched a ton of shit through the years. So, like, when you find these movies from, like, little corners of the planet, and then you find a bunch of them, and you're like, dude, why don't people know about this stuff? Like, it's really just amazing to me. Like, and it kind of shows you, like, the power of film and just the world that we live in. That Like, there's been so much stuff in the world, such a big place that it's like, yes, 
you still have not seen everything. And this is what falls in those categories, man. And that's why I love that we do like this, the, the movie related stuff we do here on the podcast. Cause I feel like in each and every different segment that we have, it's like different ways for us to like shed light on stuff like this for people. And like, dude, I, I sincerely believe this and I'm not blowing smoke up your ass. I feel like if you have like a hunger for film and you listen to the show, like we're going to give you some stuff to dig into and it's going to lead you elsewhere on your own. And you're going to find a bunch of stuff that you never knew about. And nowadays it's even easier because like shit like Tubi and all these different apps and streaming services, you can easily access this stuff where we had to do the work. That's exactly right, Hey, And to that point, we mentioned this in last week's Thursday Night Prime, Thursday Night Prime segment double feature with the film that we covered, Arena, and and that goes into Raiders of Atlantis. They do not make stuff like this anymore. So find the film and enjoy it because they don't. You know, for for everybody that that might bitch about current Hollywood and, and the theaters and what comes out in, in Metroplexes and Cineplexes and everything else, this stuff exists. And, and that's what's great. That's why we're it, it's like we're a, an infomercial for Tubi in a lot of ways nowadays. <laughs> yeah, but really. but you know what? It's free and it has all this cool shit on it. And that's why we're championing it, because it, it is making these kind of things very accessible. I mean, dude, could you imagine if years and years ago, like we were like digging into. All oh, this my stuff, God. Like, I'd, I'd if, be on it all day. Like, hey, there. Here's a free thing where you can watch. We'd be like, dude, I can't believe this is a thing. Yeah, because then you find all kinds of other shit. Yeah, and it's it really does lead you to like you know, Diodato is somebody that I really enjoy. I I like a lot of his stuff. I think that it ranges. And now keep in mind when I say this, I'm not saying that I. This is one of my favorite types of film that exists. He makes the best fucking trash, like trash fucking cinema, but like crazy fucking weird villains and cannibals and just bonkers ass storylines and they're shooting in fucking new guinea and like you know what i mean like some really like you gotta really want to make a fucking movie to make movies the way diodato did so like he's always gonna get that respect from me exactly and that's where this all came up for me personally had with his recent passing and us talking about him on the show. And I was like, I really got to dip into his catalog because, of course, you know, I've seen Cannibal Holocaust. We've talked about it numerous times on the show. And I've seen The House on the Edge of the Park in the, in the past. It's been a while. I actually want to track that down and get it. But there's Cut and Run that we talked about that I've never seen. I want to watch that. And, and this one. You'll like that. Yeah. And this one, too, was the, like the first on my list because I, I could just tell it's one of those things just from the trailer, like the poster art and things like that. Yep. And I know that's why you threw it towards me knowing it's my cup of tea because it just is. And I could just tell. And, and I don't know, you know, you know, with the uh, Raiders of, was it kind of uh, inspired by Indiana Jones? Like Diodato? Like, nope. I, I didn't think so because uh, this came out, okay. what, 83? Here, here's the thing. It was probably, and here, this is like a really weird part about getting into Italian cinema. There's been many times where somebody's like, hey, have you, and I'll just use this movie as an example. So we'd be like, have you ever seen Raiders of Atlantis? It's like an Italian movie. And I'm like, it doesn't ring a bell, but this is, I always have to add this caveat. I might've seen it under another title because things get retitled. Yeah, Atlantis Interceptors. So, so my guess was it was time to bring this movie to the drive-ins and grindhouses of America. It came out in 1983. So I'm guessing 85, 86 is when this kind of came around to the United States. Good point. And one of the United States distributors were like, let's call it Raider. It'll, you know what I mean? Yeah, we can fool that's, them into that's the a theater great point. that way. 
Um, so like Diodato, no, but definitely the exploitive fucking executives and people that retitled films for other, you know, countries and things like that. Absolutely. Yeah, because it was featured in 42nd Street Forever, Volume 1, you know, yep. like you said, playing in the grindhouses. And and uh, I was a little bit confused at first. I mean, obviously, I know what I'm, I'm talking about and, like, figured it out. But the the Blu-ray comes on, and it, like, I, I've, it's not in front of me because IMDb just has, uh, you know, Diodato as the director. But he went under a pseudonym. Well, they all, see, here's the thing. A, a lot of Italian directors, like, if you watch a lot of Fulci stuff, um, it shows up as an American director. Right, yeah. Um, and it, well, the funny thing is uh, Bruno Mattai, who's one of my favorite trash guys out there, um, he always has American names. Uh, Joe D'Amato is another one. And, dude, Joe D'Amato is Italian as fuck, but, like, that doesn't sound like a super Italian name. But, like, you'll see, you'll be watching one of his movies, and it's, like, directed by Richard Wolf. Right. <laughs> like, shit, it's, like, the most action hero-sounding type american names they can come up with um but yeah they used to do that a lot because basically they tried to fool you like they didn't want you to know it was an italian movie you know that was part of exploitation cinema like you remember this too like as a kid movies are so much different now like when people say stuff like oh i hated halloween 3 fuck that movie it, it didn't have michael myers in it and people are like yeah but it's still a good movie what's the problem the problem is if you went and seen that movie when it came out it was not clear that Michael Myers. Yeah, you want to you want to go see Michael Myers. Yes, they fooled you into the theater, just like a lot of these movies did. The only thing is, a lot of these movies are actually really fucking cool once you know what you're dealing right. with. But yeah, I mean, going into a grindhouse, paying two bucks, and it's like, oh, this is a fucking Italian movie. Like that would piss some people off. But you know, it ended up somehow building like this oddball cult audience because of that type of stuff and dude you know me i seek shit like that out right like if i haven't seen something like if somebody brought this in front of me they're like you never seen raiders of atlanta i'm like it's on the list that's exactly what 100%. i did bought the you know me that so, you were like dude this is on tubi like two days later i'm like dude i bought the blu-ray <laughs> yeah you were like you said it was up my alley so i was like fuck it i'm just and, it, and i could tell you it looked great you know on the ps5 4k tv really really yeah, good transfer I mean, Dude, these companies put the work in, you know? Right, I mean? that's They're why I'm down to support it, you know, as a fellow there. filmmaker. It's like, fuck it, you know? And it's something that I think you'd probably watch again. Exactly, yeah. Pull no, I, they, yep. Show it to someone yeah, else. Yeah, I was going to say, great great this. party movie. Like, you know, if me, you, you know, our yeah. personal friends like Guillermo and Chris are just sitting around, we know we're kind of be bullshit and distracted. We don't have to pay full attention. Just throw on Raiders of Atlantis. As we say, it goes very well with uh, whatever you tend to indulge yourself with, uh, you know, beers, uh, certain plant-based things. Yeah, especially uh, Coke. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, that's how they make exactly. it. Exactly. That's what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, man, I hope, uh, hope you guys enjoyed that breakdown of Raiders of Atlantis. Uh, another solid entry here into Fridays at midnight. But uh, next week, there will be no Fridays at Midnight. There will be no movies that made us. There will be no uh, Thursday Night Prime because next week begins our descent into February. So listen to the ads during the show because we have a big announcement for that. And me and the Jay are really excited about this one. This might end up being our coolest February yet. So stay tuned for that. And, of course, we're going to take another commercial break. And whenever we come back, we're going to wrap up the show and talk some goofs. So stay tuned. We'll be back right after this, right here on the What's Real Podcast.
the blue-eyed line himself in the blood flow and flesh spewing on the mic as I can only spew for this ad for Churchill Pictures and in turn its website, churchillpictures.com. We are Churchill Pictures, established from the bond of two childhood friends. We envision creating visual content that is completely original, thought-provoking, and most importantly, entertaining. The most recent of our two feature films, The Unsung, is now available to own as we are in a partnership with distributor Bayview Entertainment, and they are helping us put this great art out to the world. So help support, share the word, spread the word, and thanks as always for any and all support. Go to Vimeo.com to rent or buy streaming on Vimeo. Go to the awesome platform Amazon Prime. Rent or buy on Amazon at Amazon Prime, AmazonPrime.com or purchase the DVD for you collectors out there. You can buy the DVD from Walmart through walmart.com or buy the DVD from deepdiscountdvd.com. That's deepdiscountdvd.com for the unsung hope lives in the shadows. Check out churchillpictures.com to check out the trailer and all information today. Churchill Pictures, we create worlds. And we're back, and it is time for our very first ever Friday at Midnight. Uh, this time, we are going with the Jay's Choice from 1987, Masters of the Universe. Um, I don't know. I think, like, a lot of people, like, when they find out about this, they're like, oh, okay, that's cool. They made, like, the movie off the commercial or the toys and the, the cartoon and everything. But it like they, like, tried to deviate away from that stuff with this, which is kind of weird. Um, but the world of Eternia in the aftermath of Skeletor's war on Castle Grayskull, which he has won after seizing Grayskull and the surrounding city using a cosmic key developed by the locksmith Gwildor, the sorcerers, the sorceress is now Skeletor's prisoner and he begins to drain her life force as he waits for the moon of Eternia to align with the great eye of the universe that will bestow godlike powers upon him. So we're living in an era now where everything that gets made is based off toys and comic books and bullshit. Um, in the 1980s, that was not a proven commodity. So something like this, people, you know, they hear about it and they mean, oh, okay, it was like a big budget thing. It really wasn't. This was made by Canon Films in the 1980s, and it was considered a monumental flop at the time. Um, now, it's weird, too, because this is a movie that, was a massive deal when it came out, okay? Like, especially to us, because we were young boys. We were definitely in the demographic. Um, but to most people, this kind of just came and went. And it doesn't get talked about a whole lot unless you're talking about, like, a cult status type thing. Um, so it kind of fits perfectly on what we're doing for Fridays at Midnight because this we're going for more obscure stuff. Trust me, it's going to get way more obscure than even this. That's, yeah, th we said, this, yeah, this was a air. good place to start. And it kind of has a tie to the show anyways, because we've talked very uh, specifically on the show about Canon Films, especially if you guys like, uh, you know, Thursday Night Prime, the segment that is currently on hiatus. Um, we've talked about a ton of their movies there. Um, but Canon Films was like a B-movie studio. They made action adventure stuff, some horror stuff. And then something like this, which um, it was successful for them. They made money from it. It just wasn't successful as far as people thought it was going to be a massive thing. Um, and, it, and it wasn't as massive as they thought it was going to be. 
but it definitely, you know, holds a place with people from our generation for sure. The Jane, no doubt. That's why you probably picked it. This is my first, I was going to read a quote from Wikipedia that, that kind of says it all and sums up what you were just going through. It was a critical and commercial failure grossing 17 million worldwide against a budget of 22 million, but is now regarded as a classic cult film. And that's kind of, again, what we're kind of looking at. And that's like Ed was breaking down. Like we're going to get into all kinds of crazy territory other than just masters of the universe. But that's why I thought this was a great place to start. And it also has a personal, very deep place in my heart with nostalgia because he, man, uh, for, for those that don't know, just a real quick rundown. Growing up as a child of the 80s, I, I was born at the very tail end of 79, basically 80. Hey, Ed was born uh, right after me in, in, in 1980. So we completely grew up in, in the 1980s. And then this is that whole time capsule of the toys of the time. And it was G.I. Joe, Transformers, Voltron, and Masters of the Universe were just off the top of my head, like four of the most popular ones. And from a personal experience growing up, most of my friends predominantly loved G.I. Joe. And I, you know, it would set the tone for how my life would be as a master of all trades that the J is and everything I get into. I did like aspects of G.I. Joe and dipped into Transformers and those other things. But the whole point to it is my personal shit was Masters of the Universe. I had all the main you know, play, uh, what would you call it? Like the, the castle, like the, yeah, like the, 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 the play film. sets is what I was saying. Like I had all of them, like, and they were massive. Yeah. Too, man. I had castle gray skull. I had snake mountain. I had the one that came out a little earlier uh, or later, I should say was, uh, like castle Eternia or like Eternia or yep. something was like the third play set. I had all that stuff. Uh, you know, it shows you the difference with, with inflation and everything too, where, the figures in the eighties, each guy was five bucks and I had to beg my mom to get one. We, we didn't get spoiled back then. Like you always said that about Dude. your parents, your, your parents are like, you don't need another guy. You have five guys. You don't get a sixth. You know, my, my son, as you know, cause he's had a lot given to him, but I mean, he literally has like a hundred wrestling guys, you know, and they're like 20 bucks plus a pop, not $5. Dude. So I don't know if you know this or not. You know that there are masters like they've re-released the masters of the universe. Yeah. We've talked about it currently. Yeah. Did you see how much they are? Probably 20 plus 20 bucks. Yeah. And I can't do it. We we've talked about that. I, I can't open my collector heart to, as an adult, start adding in figures because I have a few of them for my pop culture centers. You know, I've said before, I have a, a Conan figure that I've never opened and some universal monster ones. And there's certain ones that I'm like, I'm just getting it, you know, but I did not. I took your advice. Hey, Ed, as I always say, like I did not open that fucking can of worms, you know, because there's just so much shit. And we say a million times over, they are after guys like us, nostalgia that has some expendable income, you know, that will fall for that shit. Like I, I just started the show off like talking about the, the rock shirt, you know, just going around with wrestling shirts that people are like, oh, where'd you get that? You know, or I love wrestling. That's that's what Dude, so much money is made off of nowadays. Just simple nostalgia. It gets even worse with shit like that because I've had people like, oh, man, that's amazing. Where did you get that from? And I'm like, 
I don't remember. That's why I told the dude the internet. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I don't fucking remember where I bought this. Like, like it's like, I don't, maybe I got it on WWE, but like, I don't think that I did. So like, I don't fucking remember where I got this from. Like, there's a lot of that that goes on with that kind of shit. I got this in a back alley in Egypt two years ago. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I was really surprised, but the dude wanted two, two shiny slivers for that. And I was like, sure. Slivers of my skin someone. that I had to cut myself. Yeah. <laughs> it was totally worth it. But, but back on track, I, I was mentioning to you, I watched this uh, last night. I always, you know, it's one of our tradition or my personal tradition. I, I should say is like anything on our segments. I, I watch, you know, it just gives me an excuse to watch it. You know, even if I watched it a million times or, or just watched it a month or something ago, I'll still just get into my head. And as we speak now, hey, I watched this last night and I, and I had mentioned to you off air, it was something like, I'm like, oh, I could show my kids of like this world I was interested in at the time. You know, it's obviously a, a movie that the kids would watch. And, and my kids were like in the middle of playing. So they're like, we're not watching a movie right now. So my wife and I ended up watching this. <laughs> yeah. And she's just like, oh my God, is this just 80s cheese? And that's exactly what it is. But the thing is, it is still entertaining. And as we know, uh, and that's why it's part of the segment, of course, and, and, and what indoors is is what they call cult films, because, you know, certain number of people still find entertainment through things like this. And I definitely did. Like, uh, of course, the effects don't hold up like like Hey Ed mentioned, they completely deviate from the cartoon that it's based on. And, and that's I remember being upset as a kid. After going to, I, I saw this in the theater. I think you mentioned you did as well in, in the eighties. Yep, driving. Okay, so hey, I saw this in the driving, which again is a, a you know perfect fodder for for this concept with the the uh, Fridays at midnight. Uh, yeah, I saw this in the theater as well. Obviously, being a huge He Man guy, and I remember being somewhat disappointed as like an eight nine year old because I'm expecting you know some reaction of like what the cartoon was to me. You know, I, I still remember, you know, just to throw this out there uh, as it comes to my mind, being kids of the 80s, the advent of the VCR. You know, I remember my dad, yeah. buying, you know, like I, I told this story on the, the podcast before, but my dad never, never the biggest tech guy, but he, he would get things ahead of, ahead of time here and there, certain things, you know, I had Nintendo right away and he got a VHS before they were very popular in the home and everything. And, you know, I was probably four or five, you know, the VHS coming out in like 84, 85 and first taking me to the video store. The very first video I ever rented, I still remember, was a, you know, it had probably a couple episodes of He-Man on it. And I, I remember my dad even saying, like, I'm paying $2. To, he's like, you watch this all the time. Like, I still have that memory when I was like five years yeah, old. Yeah, it was on now. TV. All it was on TV too, and yeah. like, I'm renting it. My dad's like, whatever, you're five, you know, but I still have that memory. You know, it was like the first thing I ever rented was was Masters of the Universe, the cartoon, like an idiot. So um, <laughs> I, as we say on the show, I digress. But the, the movie did deviate from from the animated series. And I think they just had to do that. I think they were going for I think there was a, a Star Wars influence to this would you agree with that hey ed because like yeah they're fantasy type yeah because they, they they like the, the good guys and bad guys fight with like kind of laser guns which wasn't in the well, show dude, I, even though he-man has the sword he barely ever used it here's the thing that a lot of people don't understand now um because star wars is such a fucking thing now um but there was a time where star wars was basically a b-movie and it just did really big business 
So a lot of studios were like, oh, we can make a B movie and exactly. make big yep. business. Like, that's definitely what this was. Like, this was Canon Films trying to, like, get, get into the realm of the regular studios by coming out with a major blockbuster, and it just didn't work out that way. Yeah, because, again, you have uh, Dolph Lundgren, as we all know and love, who's still around and relevant to this day. God bless him as He-Man. And, and again, rewatching it, I was really focused on that. And I'm like, you know, it's terrible acting at the time, but it's it's fucking He-Man. He's not doing monologues. Like, it worked for the time, and, and you're just looking at the look, which is obviously how he got hired. And, and he's a great He-Man for that time. You know, blonde hair, blue-eyed Swede, no body fat, 6'5", whatever the fuck he is. It made sense. You know, then you have a well before friends, Courtney Cox, who like Katie even said, she's like, oh my God, how young is she? Uh, for those listening that don't know Katie, my wife that I'm watching this with, and she portrays a high school student in this, even though, you know, classically, she's probably at least in her twenties playing a high Dude, school. Dude, she group. was in maybe two, three years before that. She was in the Bruce Springsteen video. Right. That was like yeah, that was her break in the fame. In. Yep. Uh, and, and, and yeah, the, the plot's goofy about this cosmic key, but again, it's 80s cheese and it, and it makes it a, a great cult classic. And, you know, some of the standouts of course is Meg Foster is great as evil Lynn. Uh, you, you always need the, the players, you know, Frank Langella is unrecognizable as Skeletor and he does great. Yeah. He's a great Skeletor. I like the look of Skeletor even to this day. And then I have to tell you this, Hey Ed, I completely with especially without the kids around completely turned into into a mystery science theater 3000 of driving <laughs> my wife nuts i was just making the comments and the biggest fodder for it was of course billy barty as gwildor i i just also i just famously known as the uh the little person in body slam yes. and i just would not let it go like anytime i'm like fucking gwildor you know because he's always cutting up he like finds the ribs you know like from the the, the Dude, rib place he's like eating those like this is weird <laughs> that's such a fucking canon films thing is to like put billy barty in exactly something like, in that's the, like we have to add, add gwildor because that's the other thing there was orco from the cartoon and like Orko basically got replaced from f for Gildor. Cause I guess it was easier for them to do than, you know, back then they didn't have CGI and Orko was such a, a tough character to portray on film, you know, dude, how weird is this? That Billy Barty made masters of the universe and body slam in the same fucking year. dude. That's the other thing that came from this. 87 was banging. It was 87. It, it was what we predator, uh monster squad i think came out in 87 this yep. is all off the top of Definitely. my head uh there's a ton of shit in 87. yeah 87, 87 was off the chain. like yeah it was a great year dude that's uh oh no it's a year before they live um maybe rambo 3 2 came out in 87 i don't it was 87 or 88 i forget but like dude there was just tons of shit at the time like everything uh, robocops 87 that's another one. Oh, dude it goes on and on but another big thing that was a standout was uh, Detective Lubick in this was the dude from uh, freaking Back to the Future, the principal. He plays the cop. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> Lubick. Oh my God. And it's hilarious because at the end, so he's like a, for those that, like this, this review, this is going to show you Fridays at midnight because this is definitely for insiders. Like we're not 
if you have no clue what we're talking about, I don't blame you. So because we're, yeah. we're not explaining really much, like it's it's just kind of. Uh, and I mean, hey, if if you guys want to watch it, it's on HBO Max currently. Yeah, that's so true. It's not like yeah, you watch can't it, and check it out. But but yeah, so uh, the Lubick character, he he's just a, a cop. It's portrayed by James Tolkien. That like we said is from from Back to the Future. He's he's in all three of them as as the principal that busts uh, Marty McFly's balls. But he's like this hardened cop that like, you know, comes on to this whole plot and the other cops really don't believe him and all that, that kind of trope. And he ends up in Eternia, like towards the end, they get the cosmic key working from Earth and go back to Eternia and he ends up with them by accident. So he ends up like fighting with them and everything. And at the way end of the movie, they're like, all right, Lubick, we're going back. And he's like, oh, no. I'm staying here. He's like, I got a, a chick. He is like a hot ass chick for no reason. And like, she's like feeding him grapes. He's like, I'm good. He's just staying in eternity. <laughs> you know, it's like, there's like fuck everything. Yeah. There's so much cheesy shit, but again, that's why it stands out. And, and that's why I called this out though, for a very personal uh, preference for the J with my history with, with he men and growing up, uh, you know, playing with the action figures and collecting them. And then this being the big film, and like you said, like I, I not only was it a, a commercial failure, but as a fan of it, even seeing it in the, in the theater. And again, I got to say I was eight or nine years old, but I remember being disappointed initially. And then as years would go on, I'd, of course, rent it and, and things like that. And, and I always liked it, and had a place in my heart for it. And to the point that I hadn't watched it for years, we brought it up for the segment. And, and as I've been referencing, I watched it last night. And it was still thoroughly entertaining. Even my wife at the end, just like, yeah, it was a stupid, cheesy eighties movie, but it was, it was funny. And she's like, you know, you were cracking me up doing it with the fucking Gwildor. Goddamn Gwildor. <laughs> Always messing shit up. Goddamn Billy Barty. But yeah, you know, this, this was a great one to start the segment. It just brings me back. But, uh, but yeah, Masters of the Universe is definitely uh, a canon cult classic. What can you say? Hey, yeah. Why don't you throw us a tagline too while you're at it, the Jay? A battle fought in the stars now comes to Earth. And that just says it all for the uh, the comparisons to Star Wars. <laughs> they actually have that. The t- they True. probably said that, like, make sure stars is in the tagline, even though yeah, there's nothing to do with it. some kind of shit in here. Yeah. God damn it. We got to fool a bunch of people into getting into the theaters for this. But uh, but yeah, that was, uh, that was our first episode of Fridays at Midnight. So I hope you guys enjoyed that. Uh, next week on the show is my turn. Uh, we're going to go back to 1979 for this one. Some crew members of a, com- of a company shooting a horror film begin to suspect that the killings in the movie are real and that they are actually making a snuff film. Again, from 1979, directed by Dusty Nelson. This is not only a really obscure movie, it's a great movie. And it also has a major tie to the show because it's all Pittsburgh made. It stars John Harrison, Deborah Gordon, Tom Savini, and Joe Pilato. We're going to talk effects next week here on the show. So stay tuned for that. But we have our very last commercial break coming up here on the show. Whenever we come back, we're going to wrap up the show, hit the old waterfall of goofs, and uh, 
Call it a day. So stay tuned, guys. We'll be back right after this on the What's Real Podcast. This is it from the What's Real Podcast for Height Apparel, your one-stop shop for fashion retail. For one-of-a-kind shopping experience, stop by Height Apparel. Founded by Eric Walker, our business brand is based around people who are of average height, 5'10 and under. We will have the season's greatest fashion picks. Whether you're on the lookout for men's clothing or accessories, stop by and browse our latest collection. That's Height Apparel, H-Y-G-H-T, apparel.com. Again, that's HeightApparel.com. And we're back, and it is time for our first installment of Fridays at Midnight this week. We are talking 1982's Gary Sherman-directed Vice Squad. An unlikely Hollywood hooker helps a detective set a trap for a mutilator pimp. And that sounds pretty simple, but this is kind of the the reason why this movie is really, really interesting. It's a 97-minute movie, again directed by Gary Sherman, who is one of the more underrated directors, in my opinion. Same director as Dead and Buried. And he also made uh, Deathline, a.k.a. Raw Meat, with uh, Donald Pleasance. Um, very, very consistent filmmaker. And as much as I like Dead and Buried, I think Vice Squad's an even better example of his talents. Because this one just hits the ground fucking running. And the reason why I like this movie so much is because it takes place in the sleazy world of pimps and hookers in the Vice Squad in Los Angeles. And Wings Hauser plays a pimp named Ramrod, Ramrod, who is literally on a fucking rampage from the very <laughs> Like no moment, other. <laughs> dude, from the moment the movie starts until the end, this dude is going completely fucking batshit bonkers. And it's, it like, it's crazy. Like, even the fucking dialogue in this movie is pretty wild. Like, everybody's a scumbag. Everybody treats everybody like shit. The cops are assholes. The prostitutes are fucking assholes. The pimps are assholes. The Johns are the biggest pieces of shit on the face of the earth. And what you get is just like this completely, like how we talk about like uh, like uh, uncut gems, like with that frenetic pacing. Yeah. That's exactly what this movie is. Like you get small moments of like the police at the police station or like a couple characters talking. And then it's like, then here comes Ramrod fucking running his truck through a building or kicking a door in or they're trying to set him up and it fails again. Or he does crazy shit and gets away, jumps out of windows like he's literally threatening other pimps and pieces of shit like like just robbing people blind left and right, beating the shit out of women, cops like it just doesn't stop. And it's like, I, you know, there's not many instances that I can think of where I've seen a movie that's quite like Vice Squad. That's why I picked it this week for this. Yeah, it's a, a great choice. But yeah, Wingshauser is Ramrod uh, at the outset from the J here, I must say, does steal the show. Uh, season Hubley does do great as Princess. And, yes. Um, you know, Gary Swanson is, is Walsh, the, the cop. That's pretty good, but man, Ramrod, as you mentioned, hey Ed, like I, I love this—the initial setup of of it and everything, where uh, the the hooker Ginger that's friends with Princess, she she calls her and she's telling her, you know, he did it again, and she's like, you have to get away from him, da 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 da, 
And then the next scene, he comes to the the hotel where Ginger's at and he knocks on the door and she's like, he's no, doing the pimp talk. Yeah. He's like doing the pimp talk. She's like, you're just going to beat me again. But he just sweet talks her and she opens the door and he just, he's like, you stupid bitch. <laughs> he grabs, yep. his, grabs her and face he, and just annihilates he, her. He beats her to death with a wire hanger. Oh, brutal. And dude, fun, interesting note here. That prostitute Ginger played by Nina Blackwood, who in 1982 was literally nationally famous because she's one of the few very original MTV VJs. Oh, there you go. That's a unique tidbit there. Uh, but yeah, a lot, of, a lot of other good character actors in this uh, fill it out. And, and like you said, it's, it's basically just looking forward to Ramrod's quote unquote set pieces throughout this. Cause I'm just, yep. you're just kind of waiting for him to come back just to see his, his mayhem. Cause as you mentioned, they, they use princess to set him up uh, th- that initial time after she, after he, uh, you know, she finds out that he was, he definitely killed ginger, which he doesn't even realize at that point. He just thinks he beat her. He's like, all I did is beat the bitch. She's like, she, she's dead, you know, but she sets him up and that whole scene where he escapes from the cops. And like you said, jumps out the fucking window jumps off his building and stuff. You know, then he goes to that, that dude that has like a face tattoo to get a gun. And as you mentioned, he intimidates that dude to find out where the pimp is and the pimp's a pussy ramrod. Just it's like that fat black dude. He just beats the shit out of him to get information. But yep. yeah, it's just like you said, dude, it's a great call to compare it to, to something that the Safke brothers do in, in modern cinema with this, where it is just this frenetic pace, like few nights in CDS LA underground shit. Um, Dude, but yeah, it's definitely a blast for, for you know, all things considered. Uh, interesting factoid and something I wanted to bring up here from Letterboxd. This is from Wraith Ape on Letterboxd. Wingshauser's vocal on the opening theme. That's right. He sings the song in it uh, and he brings up the, the, the saying, everybody's swimming in the neon slime, which is a great <laughs> way of explaining what this feels like. Yeah. Uh, the perfect intro to a luminous trawl through the sleazy darkness of L.A.'s underbelly, as well as theme song duties. Hauser also stars as homicidal pimp Ramrod, who terrorizes the city's sex workers like a cowboy from hell because he's in the cowboy getup. And yeah. Everything, something yep. we haven't mentioned either. And dude. This is mind-blowing. I, I know you don't know this. I, I've heard this and read this before, and I think it's extremely interesting. Martin Scorsese literally picked this as best picture of 1982. Oh, wow. Did not know that. Really interesting. Yep. yep. It's it, And it's not just subject. Like, when you're watching the movie, the way it looks is really cool. Like, there's a lot of, like, out on the fucking boulevard shots in Los Angeles with, like, the nightlife around and like when it was the more seedier elements in LA and Hollywood, um, the really like, and dude, there's, we, we've talked about this numerous times here on the podcast, but every time we've talked about it, it's been about New York city. This is one of those movies where like Los Angeles, the seedy LA West coast kind of scene plays a major integral part as a character in the movie. Uh, and it's, and it's really, interesting too because like there's all those scenes like at the, at the police precinct where like it it comes across i've never seen a movie do this as well as is this particular movie where like they're trying to set up like the local precinct and the jail is like a literal fucking madhouse like 
crazy prostitutes. People are and fucking that, the, arguing. The one detective the, comes out. He's like, my the fucking paper clips. Somebody took my paper clips. Yep. Where the fuck? He's like going ape. Like, where the fuck are my paper clips? Yep. It's it's fucking amazing. Like it the way is. that they set that that shit up. Like it's really well done. It adds like a thick atmosphere to this movie. And it's like the characters too. Like it's a frustrating watch. And I don't mean because it's poorly made, but it's like. You know, you have Ramrod, who's running the streets like a pimp Jason Voorhees, just destroying everything in his wake. Then you have the princess character, who is completely in his sights because she tried to set him up and it didn't work and he got away. And she has to work. Like, they set up a really interesting scene, too, because the cops are like, you better you better stay hidden. And she's like, I can't do that. I need to work. And the, the cop goes in her wallet and she's like, You'd have to give me four months' salary to make up for what I'm going to make tonight. Yeah, he's, he's like, trying to help her out, give her a loan. And then he's like, oh, okay, well, never mind. <laughs> so she goes back to work, and then they're like, we got to find Ramrod. So it's like this game of, like, Ramrod's trying to find Princess. Princess is trying to work and avoid Ramrod, and the cops are trying to track both of them down. Yeah, exactly. So you have, like, this constant cat-and-mouse game littered with pimps and hookers, Denzians, other cops, and everybody's just looking for each other. And, of course, it all culminates at the end. Well, which, that's the thing, too, is is what Princess goes through in this. I mean, she brutal. is just brutalized because they, you know, she has her pending cocaine possession thing. So the cops are like taking her in. They use her. And use her. And, you know, they offer her a pardon in exchange for her help catching Ramrod. And she initially refuses. And then the detective Tom rips open the body bag of Ginger's corpse and puts her face in, in the corpse's face. And he's like, look at your friend. This is what he did to her. And that's, and a, then that's really good acting in that scene. She's like, you know. And they set her up at the very beginning of the movie like she's living a double life. Like she has a daughter. Yeah, right. Yeah, she and, has like a suburban house. And the fucking cops are like, we'll take your daughter away. You want that to happen? Like he really starts out like a scumbag yeah. in this one. And then he kind of starts to like her. And I've read uh, some stuff in this, and I think it's a really interesting uh, thing to, to bring up. But Gary Swanson, who plays Tom Walsh, the detective, is like channeling kind of like a Steve McQueen-ish kind of character, like an older Steve McQueen type guy, like a dickhead, like, but like, you know, like he's, he eventually comes around like that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, just, you know, a lot of really interesting actors too. Uh, Pepe Serna shows up in this, who is one of the henchmen from Scarface. He's in a ton of other stuff too. Yeah. He's also in American Me um, and Car Wash, but like, you know, Kelly Piper is also in this one, too. She's in Maniac, Rawhead Rex, Hannibal. Um, you know, and there's a really good cast here. Everything like this, I always credit this as being it's Wings Hauser's greatest performance. And Gary Sherman, who's fucking as rock solid of a director as you can get, making something that's just completely filled with sleaze like. And it, it's it's a lasting effect. Like ever since I've seen Vice Squad, it's always stuck in my mind. And every time I've gone back and watched it, I'm like, you're always kind of amazed at how, like, dude, Ramrod's literally up there with the greatest pieces of shit in cinema history, <laughs> like agree. of all time. Yeah. Like it's not even like, dude, give me an example of somebody that you hate as much as this fucking dude watching this movie. Yeah, it's funny. Back to back weeks, it, it, it's kind of a. You know, very different performance, but a parallel to to Bad Lieutenant and LT. 
Yeah, I mean, dude, in I, a different you know, way, you know. It, it's man, like but this dude's even more. You know, this dude's on there's no, level. There, there's absolutely no redemption whatsoever <laughs> yeah, for Randy, and they don't, they're not even trying. No. Like, he's a piece of shit. And he's, he's only going to get worse. Yeah. Like they literally, you realize with him, like death is a certainty. There's you're not going to arrest this dude. Like yeah. he ain't going to let that shit happen. Like and dude. The one thing I like about this character too that that kills me with him, through the course of the movie, he he ends up like driving multiple vehicles, and this dude does not give a fucking shit about nothing. He like runs over prostitutes at the very beginning of the movie. He has like this massive truck on huge wheels. He like drives over cars and like does not give a certifiable fuck about anything. He's looking for princess. And he's trying to get weapons. And he'll like strong arm dudes out of their weapons. Like, like yeah. it's he just doesn't give a fuck. It's crazy. Yeah, there's there's that, that one point when she's it's at the beginning when initially she's setting him up and she picks him up, uh, you know, Princess to Ramrod, and he's walking her out of the bar to put her in her truck and take her to his place. And there's like the hag outside, and she's like, Don't yep. go with him. And he's he he has a line. I wish it was in front of me. I'm paraphrasing, but he basically says, "I'm the devil, baby." Dude, the way he says it's great. Yeah, he he pulls out the lighter. He's like, "You like fire? You like fire? Because I'm the devil, baby." Yeah, just walks. It's, like it's great. So like basically, at the, the first ten minutes of the fucking movie, he's threatened to light a homeless woman on fire. <laughs> yeah. He's murdered a prostitute a with, a death with a wire hanger. <laughs> yeah. Has literally fought policemen, threatened drug dealers. Yeah. <laughs> like this dude, right? Like, attempted rape. Yep. There's tons of that. Just dude, in the movie is just absolutely. And I mean, it's a movie about pimps and street life, but this movie is absolutely brutal to women. Like absolutely. Like the characters are all pieces of shit. Like that. That one. Like when he goes to get that car off that one dude, the black dude. Yeah. And he's like getting. He's like, motherfucker, who the fuck you think you talking to? He's like, and 500, he's like, walks towards the cars. He's like, no, nah, no, nah, the blue one, motherfucker. He's yeah. like, 500 bucks ain't enough for the goddamn El Dorado. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, and the, the part with the uh, gay leather club owner, Fast Eddie, we were talking yep. about him. He gets the guns from him, but he asked to identify uh, Princess's former pimp, who's Joe Dorsey, who's just this like nerdy, fat black dude. And, uh, you know, he gets brutally interrogated by Ramrod and then castrated yep. for Christ's sake. And then, like we said, Princess going through it. Uh, this is the portion that you were mentioning, hey, Ed, where she's working and she picks up this goofy ass, terrible looking uh, John. And she's just like sitting there like a fish. And he's he didn't like the sex. So he is disgruntled and forcibly takes his money back and like beats her up. Do this rolls. I I have to bring this up because this is the it's the only thing in the movie that makes me laugh every fucking time I see it. So she's out on the stroll and this dude pulls up in a Mercedes and uh, and she's like, hey, baby, like, da, 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 like giving them the prices and everything. He's like, well, I wanted something different. She's like, well, what did you want? He's like, you ever do a golden shower? And she's <laughs> yeah. like, she's like, sorry, but I just went to the bathroom. He's like, well, I got a six pack and a hundred bucks. And she's like, well, move over, make room for princess running water. Yeah. <laughs> and dude, one of the, you know, talk about this just other world that is created here and this crazy underbelly situation and just all these, you know, like I'm referencing like crazy dark set pieces at one point, 
she ends up at this billionaire's house in Beverly Hills yep. and is instructed to dress as a bride. And it's all, it's all weird and mysterious. And he just, uh, this dude uh, is basically like a butler kind of character. He sends her to the, this parlor and this elderly guy is just laying in a, in a casket. And scares and the fuck out of her. Yeah, he scares the fuck out of her. She's screaming. And he's like, I told her not to talk. Get her out of here. And she's just like yelling and, at dude, him like, you and he's, creepy and he's, fuck. I hope you die. And he starts crying. He's yeah, like, Get it's, it's such a creepy, then, weird scene. And, and then it is kind of funny because the, the driver dude. Yeah, he's like, he's I'm like, off tomorrow. <laughs> he's like, are you working tomorrow? She's like, I don't know if I'm ever fucking working again. And he's like, well, because that's my night off. And I want <laughs> yeah. to see her. And then she like says something, and then he's like, <laughs> like, yeah. and she because she's like, oh, he's like, a cab is getting called for, her. and she's like, I'm not paying for it. And he's like, oh, don't worry, it's taken care of. Like, uh, but like weird characters, goofy shit, like just unbridled fucking violence. Uh, cops that are always two steps behind. Like it's, but dude, Vice Squad is a hell of a flick, man. So I'm glad we it actually is, yeah, got to, to put it. it on here. It's a wild one. So as we do the J here on the show, hit us with a tagline for Vice Squad. On the street, the real trick is staying alive. And as we do here on the show, we have a five-star rating scale. I'm going to give Vice Squad four stars. I'm right behind you with a solid three and a half. All right, so that is Vice Squad, one half of our Fridays at Midnight Double Feature. We are up against another commercial break, but whenever we come back, it is time for part two as we go to 1994 with Ray Liotta and No Escape. So we'll be back with that and much more right after this right here on the What's Real Podcast. This is Ed from the What's Real Podcast for Physically Fit with Kurt Angle. At Physically Fit, we are committed to providing our customers with the highest quality, better-for-you protein snack nutrition the entire family will enjoy. In a time when product quality seems to be compromised by price, we are determined to be unique and offer different offerings, superior ingredients, great taste, texture, and quality in every bag. We strive to inspire everyone on some level and share values of faith, family, respect, and excellence daily. Our goal is to be a small part of your life, personal growth, health, and happiness. We consider each customer to be part of our growing physically fit family and encourage all to live life to its fullest. Set new goals daily to better yourself physically, financially, emotionally, and spiritually. Don't compromise your values and always be kind and respectful to others. Our motto is healthy people, healthy planet, because we believe that providing great tasting nutrition makes for a healthier you, and a healthier you makes for a healthier planet. Strive for a better tomorrow and live physically fit. Go to physicallyfit.com today. And we're back, and it is time for part two of Fridays at Midnight here with the 1994 Martin Campbell-directed No Escape. Um, oddly enough, the Jay, I don't know if you realize this or not, Martin Campbell made a ton of shit. Uh, he's the director of Casino Royale, Green Lantern, uh, Goldeneye, The Mask of Zorro, Edge of Darkness, Cast a Deadly Spell with Fred Ward, um, and of course, No Escape. And No Escape stars Ray Liotta. And in the year 2022, so this takes place last year, a ruthless prison warden has created the ultimate solution for his most troublesome and violent inmates, Absalom, 
a secret jungle island where prisoners are abandoned and left to die. But Marine Captain John Robbins, convicted of murdering a commanding officer, is determined to escape the island in order to reveal the truth behind his murderous actions and clear his name. Also, you have Lance Henriksen, Kevin Dillon, uh, Kevin O'Connor's in this one, Ian McNeese, uh, Ernie Hudson, of course, playing a big role in this one. And dude, I got to tell you just off the bat, because of course, uh, I was reading through Letterboxd, right? <laughs> and this somebody named Ira on there was like, Ray Liotta is in prison on an island with Kevin Dillon. There are also some other reasons he's desperate to escape. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. But dude, okay, I'd seen this movie before, right? And I it'd been a really long time. But I was really impressed with this one. Like I really enjoyed this fucking thing. I always though- had a special place in my heart for it. That's why I gravitated towards it and I was the same way. I haven't seen it in a long time and I thought it held up very well. And dude, it's weird because like Ray Liotta does good as like the action hero kind of thing, but like there's nothing in it for him. Like he doesn't have good dialogue. There's no, it's it's very like lackluster for like a good actor like Ray Liotta. They make him a bit but, of a badass though. No, well that's one like he doesn't have good dialogue or good, you know, it's just him like murdering people, which yeah. is fine. But like still very entertaining flick. Like it holds up. The special effects in the movie aren't bad. There's one stunt in this movie that blows my fucking mind. And it's at the very beginning, whenever they get first put on the island and the outsiders basically accost fucking Ray Liotta's character. They chase him to that cliff. And dude, that stunt man is the baddest motherfucker that's ever been a motherfucker. Yeah, just on a wire. Dude, that shit, like any normal person would have died just from sheer terror for doing that. (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, like there's a lot of cool jungle scenes and chases and shit like that. All pretty well done. Um, The characters all kind of look cool. Uh, You know, there's it, it, it just works. Like I was really surprised at how much I like this one. Yeah, really, really good villain in this with uh, Stuart Wilson as Merrick. Uh, he plays a really good bad guy, and and like you like you said, uh, with Lance Henriksen involved, we we all love our boy Lance. He's definitely in yep. the What's Real Hall of Fame as the father that that runs like the peaceful group, which which it is cool. Like the whole story is cool with the the island of prisoners and everything that that goes on. And and one thing I do want to mention too, hey Ed, was the pacing of this is really good. I mean, it, it, it is just, really it, good. It doesn't really mess around. Gets them to the island, and it just goes from there. Where like you said, I mean instantaneously he's like getting hunted by these savages and those are the outsiders and he like we're mentioned falls off this humongous cliff and, and waterfall sequence and, and and there's there's a lot more to it like the the one great character actor jack shepherd he plays uh Dysart, and, yep. and he's like the community's like uh, inventor and science guy yep. so they're using him to try to build a boat to escape and stuff so uh, there's a lot to it. Uh, another really good villain is Michael Lerner as the warden. Uh, yeah, what you, a piece you, you of shit. You want to see him get his come up as, and then uh, of course Ian McNeese's character King is a turncoat. Uh, so you got that thrown in there, and that's a cool scene. And of, and of course, you know King and the warden get fucked at the end, which is great. And um, I like the uh, Kevin O'Connor's uh, Stefano character, like yeah. the guy who get who can get anything. Yep, like that's 
who they have the running joke in this where he always wants Leota's boots. Yeah, he's like, I'll sign a contract. He's like, get the fuck out of here. And he's and, like, look, I want. He's like, I want your boots. He's like, now I have this thing. It's called merchandise, whatever. And he's like, you can keep your boots. It's just that when you die, they go to me. Yeah. <laughs> and and Kevin Dillon does really good in this as Casey, like the young, bright-tailed, bushy-eyed character that kind of latches on to Ray Liotta's character and annoys him, but then kind of wins him over. You know, and of course has the the spoiler alert movie from uh, the mid nineties here, but he has the the death scene. You know, he's kind of basically sacrifices himself when Merrick makes them face off each other to the death because he knows yep. that that Robin's Ray Liotta's character could be the one that that gets him off the island eventually, hopefully. And, and, and throw dude, in as we've said, uh, Ernie Hudson is always great as well, being in this too. This is my biggest problem though with this, and it's a big one. The movie's awesome. It's a lot of fun. But the end is fucking terrible. I thought that. Like, it just kind of ends. It's one of those things. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. It may, Like, you don't. It, like, they, they should have at least done the, the thing where it's like, you know, like, Captain J.T. Robbins took the helicopter and l- would land at the blah, 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 Air and Force Yeah, drop base. off the, the and, information that shuts down the, the island. And yes. the corrupt warden is exposed. Ex- Yes, something like the the warden was sent. Like, uh, ironically, the warden would be sentenced to the island where he would be killed by Merrick or, you know, whatever the fuck they want to do. Like, but uh, but that was my biggest problem with it was the fucking ending. But other than that, it's exactly what you want it to be. Yeah, like some great fight scenes when when the outsiders do their raids. Uh, you have all that classic stuff, like classic 90s, just practical stunts and things. And, you know, the the. The setting is really cool for that too, because they they do like zip line shit, because there's all these different buildings and wooden bridges and shit in the community. So it makes yep. for a good, you know, really good action sequences and like fight scenes and, and the raids. Uh, another highlight too, uh, this was towards the beginning when, like you mentioned, Ray Liotta's character first gets accosted by Merrick and and his group, the Outsiders, and so he's like, you know, I'm gonna put you to the death with one of our biggest fighters. And it's one of those things where this big ass crazy looking dude comes out and uh, Ray Liotta is at the other end of the bridge. And the dude does this whole big sequence with like this staff with a knife on it. And Liotta just throws a knife at the dude and just hits him right in the, in the fucking heart. And the dude just and, falls in the water. And, and Merrick's like, like well, I didn't expect that, but that was very cool or whatever. You know? And then they, they start because he's like a wisecracker. Yeah. And like he, he lands in the water and he's like, you know, he's like, well, he's like, we want you to stay here. Uh, we we have an open position. Yeah, and he's like, what do you just say? Open for you, and and he's like, he's like, I'll do it. I'll go with you guys. He's like, just one question though. He's like, where are you gonna find another lifeguard? And everybody's laughing. And he throws him in the water and just like grabs <laughs> he his steals gun, the gun. Yeah, and is like, I'll fucking fight a whole army of dudes. Yeah, like, but yeah, I mean, Leota's good in this. Like like I said, the the material is not the greatest for him, but it works. Uh, you know, the movie has good pacing. It's entertaining. It's fun. You won't be bored with it. Uh, a lot of interesting stuff goes on. It's not like they're doing all the shit that doesn't make sense. Uh, they're careful not to overuse the warden and his firepower too much in this. They kind of just let them do their thing. And, you know, you don't see a ton of movies like this, frankly. This is definitely like a throwback. But it's kind of like... This would have been good for Thursday Night Prime, except for the fact that it has a way bigger budget than than stuff that we would typically see on Thursday Night Prime. Yep, exactly. Yeah, with the dystopian future 
uh, kind of thing going for it, which, as you mentioned, talking here in 2023 is hilarious as it takes place in 2022, which yeah. is just a funny things in, in, in movies. But uh, but yeah, um, Gail Hurd, huge producer, partner of James Cameron. She was one of the producers on this. So, so that was pretty big. Uh, and it was the third collaboration between Hurd and Henriksen after, of course, Terminator and Aliens. So uh, cool that she was involved as a major producer. And, you know, that kind of makes sense, too, that this is this is pretty solid and well put together, you know. So, you know, definitely a good te- team uh, all around with everybody involved from the director to the producers to the, the cast. And this was a crazy little tidbit, hey, Ed, that I stumbled upon from bringing this up on Wikipedia, uh, being big gamers. And, and this is the height of our teenage gaming, a video game based on No Escape. The same name, No Escape, the video game, was released in 94 for Sega and Super Nintendo. That's so wild. I wonder I never, if I ever, I wonder if I ever played it. I, I don't know. Don't yeah, it. yeah, exactly. I was thinking that too when I when I stumbled on that. But yeah, neat, neat little factoid. But yeah, like I mentioned, overall, this was something that, that kind of always stuck with me, always stood out uh, since I first saw it in the 90s. And you know, I figured Fridays at midnight, as is the, the point of the segment, to bring some of these more obscure, lesser known gems out. Uh, pretty much a B movie, but like a high level B B movie, like you said, it's a big budget for the time, and and I think it really is is just fun and entertaining overall. Yeah, absolutely. So the J hit us with a tagline of "No Escape." All right, No Escape. The year is 2022. In the prison of the future, escape is impossible. Survival isn't much easier. No guards, no walls, no escape. And as we do here on the show, we do a five-star rating scale. So the J, what are you giving No Escape? Giving No Escape a solid three and a half, hey, Ed. Same. Absolutely. So totally agree. Pretty solid week here for Fridays at Midnight. Yeah, fun, uh, fun flicks. And a programming note, uh, this is the end of Fridays at Midnight for the time being, uh, because as we are about to start another month, I guess we can announce it right now, we will be bringing back the movies that made us. So uh, we're, we will, I don't think we're going to do double features of that, especially with Joe Bob going on uh, at the same time. So we'll probably just do one of them each and every week uh, throughout the month of May. So I hope you guys have enjoyed Fridays at Midnight. It definitely will be back. It has a ton of traction, and we have way more stuff that we want to do for that. Uh, but the movie fun does not stop as we are going to take another quick commercial break. And whenever we come back, it is time to head on down to the last drive-in for the brand-new season with Joe, Bob, and Darcy with a Lucio Fulci double feature. We're going to talk about 1979 Zombie and The Beyond from 1981. So stay tuned for that much more. We'll be back right after this right here on the What's Real Podcast. And that's all we have this week on the What's Real Podcast, our Fridays at Midnight September special. As a reminder, we will have one more special next week as we wrap up the month of September and then once again, in the month of October, Hey Ed and the J return for our Halloween extravaganza. So as, as always, stay healthy, stay safe, and you'll hear us next week on the What's Real Podcast. What's real?